With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And joining me, as always, PFF's lead fantasy analyst, the great Nathan Yonke. Nate, we got more preseason football headed our way in in just a few short hours as as we record this Thursday afternoon. I I know I'm excited. How are you feeling as we, we ramp up here towards the season? I'm feeling good. I'm excited to have some starters or even second string players playing on like the Hall of Fame game. So hopefully (laughs) some good information coming out. I have my J.J. Watt jersey on for the Texans playing tonight, since I think Texans probably the most interesting team tonight with all their new running backs and wide receivers and tight ends. So definitely excited to see that. And then for us on East Coast time, we have a 10 p.m. kickoff for the Vikings and Seahawks. So it's preseason where we get 10 p.m. football for this <laughs> part of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, 10 p.m. ones are tough for sure, but I, I'm looking forward to that one still. I mean, you know, at, at least for me, like the Vikings, Ivan Pace Jr., the linebacker there, the rookie undrafted guy is one of my guys. So I, I really I'm looking forward to watching him. And then, we'll yeah, we'll get Jordan Addison in that game and um, a few other guys that are that are interesting as well. So hopefully it'll be worth it. Like you said, we probably only have to watch like the first quarter or so, but <laughs> um, it, it'll still be fun. And, and yeah, it's good to have uh, football back and hopefully not like 37 inactives or whatever it was uh, last week for the Browns. <laughs> Um, but yeah, today, today, what we're going to do for this episode, we're going to look at our updated risers and fallers in ADP for August here and kind of the reasons why these guys are moving up and up or down draft boards at the moment. Um, I'm sure as this offseason progresses, we're going to see a fair bit of movement influenced by preseason games as well. So we'll also be talking about why it's actually important to pay attention, um, to the preseason and what to pay attention to and and maybe the things that we shouldn't put as much stock into regarding these preseason games um you know i know preseason it's an exciting time it's easy to get hyped up about our favorite prospects but at the same time we don't want to get carried away with a small sample size of work in the preseason it's always important to add context to each individual situation So that's what we'll be looking to do today, because if nothing else, we aim to be the voices of reason here on the PFF Fantasy Podcast and steer you in the right direction towards a fantasy championship after all is said and done. All right, quickly, before we get into the meat of this episode, we had a few appetizer-worthy pieces of news come out since we last recorded, uh, with the first one being that Kareem Hunt has signed with the New Orleans Saints. Oh, wait, nope. He hasn't. He actually signed with the Indianapolis Colts because they offered him more money. No, wait, hold on. That's not right either. He's actually back at home chilling on his couch and plans to watch the preseason as a free agent like the rest of us, apparently. Now, I don't know if this was just some bizarre reporting disaster or what, but Nate, Kareem Hunt news ends up being no news at all. Um, Do you think it's likely that Hunt ends up with either of these teams or, or can we expect his free agency tour to continue in the coming weeks? What, what's your kind of feeling on this situation? Yeah, it seems unlikely at this point, just because he either wants more playing time or more money. I don't think he'll get more money since there's plenty of other running backs out there. And in terms of playing time, both of these situations seem pretty temporary. Um, Alvin Kamara out three weeks with suspension. So we know he'll be back. And then with the Colts, ideally, both Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss are back even by the start of the regular season. So playing time, probably not something that either of these teams can really guarantee Hunt at this point. So um, I 
could see him continuing to look around, wait for an injury. I feel like once a running back gets injured, then a bunch of teams will be fighting for, or a bunch of running backs will be fighting for one spot and still none of them will probably get the money they end up wanting. So I think the most interesting thing to me here is the Saints are even looking for a running back when they have Jamal Williams and Kendra Miller. I really haven't found much hype for either of those running backs so far this training camp. So I don't know if they're not happy with them or if it's just, there just haven't been too much reports of the running backs doing much. So um, I could see it being a slightly negative sign, but it's also probably just a wait and see the saints could just bring in some other player. They could just simply be looking for a third running back for those three games. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a good point. Cause a lot of the times, I mean, everybody gets positive hype in camp. A lot of the players do. So sometimes no news um, is, is actually ends up being kind of bad news, um, but we'll see how that plays out. And yeah, with the Colts, who knows, I, I like to think this is Jim Irsay and the Colts kind of attempting to make Jonathan Taylor jealous and, and they'll bring in more free agent running backs for visits and, you know, put, put on the dog and pony show, parade them around the team facilities, create a media circus uh, enough that Taylor says enough and, and, and comes back and, and, and plays week one. So we'll see if that's actually the case or not, but uh, I doubt it. it. In one more key piece of fantasy news, uh, Rashad Bateman was activated off the pup list this week and is back practicing with the team. Um, this is pretty significant given that Zay Flowers was definitely you know, kind of stealing the spotlight in camp and, and was emerging as a potential favorite target for Lamar in camp, um, which could have carried into the regular season if Bateman didn't get back soon. And that still could be the case, but at least now we're, we're back to the more even camp battle that we kind of expected between Bateman, Flowers, and Odell Beckham for wide receiver one in Baltimore this season. Nate, I, I know you wrote up Bateman as a wide receiver sleeper for this season. Uh, with him back practicing now, you got to feel pretty good about his chances of, of, of maybe hitting on that prediction. Um, I'm probably lower than I have been since I wrote that, but I've also been up and down on Bateman basically all spring and summer long. So I might be back up depending on how he's used in the preseason here. But as you mentioned, Flowers has been getting a ton of hype uh, during training camp. Odell Beckham has also been getting a pretty decent steady stream of hype since he joined the team and how much time he's been spending with Lamar Jackson and whatnot. So I wouldn't be all that surprised if Bateman is third on the depth chart and depending on who they want to put in the slot or how that works, Bateman might not even always be on the field for three wide receiver sets. So I think at this point it'll be see how the rotation goes. And I could also see this being a situation that evolves as the season progresses since it's not going to be like two of these guys will always be on the field. One of them's never on the field. They'll all get chances to make plays and whoever is making the most plays will get more playing time over time. But if anything, it's just good to see Bateman is ready to play again after how much injuries situations he's had throughout his short NFL career so far. So hopefully he's able to stay healthy and build some momentum with the Ravens right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hope because like you said, being up and down or in and out on, on Bateman has kind of been like the story of his career at this point um, through three, three seasons, almost in the, in the NFL. So um, it is at least nice to have him back healthy practicing in camp and it gives us something else to watch when we get these Ravens preseason games here to see if anyone can emerge before week one. Um, all right, before we get into our risers and fallers, we do want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life. As a parent, your child's well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in this world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they continue to thrive no matter what. Fabric was designed by parents parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. 
All right, let's get into our ADP risers and fallers here. There was no real significant movement at the quarterback position worth getting into. So let's start at the running back position. Uh, some of the biggest risers that we saw uh, in the past week, Kareem Hunt, who we just talked about, was up 13.4 spots to RB60. Uh, Gus Edwards of the Baltimore Ravens up 7.9 spots to RB57. Tank Bigsby up five spots to RB44. Raheem Mostert up 4.7 spots to RB51. And Javante Williams was up 3.7 spots to RB25. And I should note that this data is all pulled from underdog drafts. Um, and then guys that were falling, Ty Chandler, uh, backup running back for the Minnesota Vikings, down 11.6 spots. Uh, Elijah Mitchell with the 49ers down 5.2 spots. J.K. Dobbins is down 4.2 spots to RB21. Roshan Johnson down a couple spots as well to RB48. And Leonard Fournette down 3.6 spots to RB60. So we, we won't go out over every single player here, but Nate, let, let's start with maybe the most interesting situation as, as these guys are kind of tied together here. Two Ravens running backs headed in opposite directions with J.K. Dobbins continuing his hold in. He's fallen a good amount while Gus Edwards has moved up over the last week. Meanwhile, nobody is really showing any interest in Melvin Gordon as he's actually dropped 0.3 spots in ADP since last week when they signed him. Um, I, I know we touched on this kind of last episode, but are you okay letting someone else take a shot on Dobbins at RB21 in that sixth round or so? Or are you still feeling okay about him potentially playing week one and, and buying the dip, so to speak? I think he'll play week one. I'm probably not taking him RB21, and that's regardless of all this holdout slash injury stuff. I think just with the changes to the Ravens offense, I am fine with their ADPs changing by about a half of a round each. Um, like Edwards, it's great first off that he's healthy. He's been participating after only playing nine games the past two seasons. He's commented that he's excited about this new Ravens offense because it'll mean facing lighter boxes, which should help his efficiency. But the Ravens running back efficiency has never been the problem. Both of them consistently averaging over five yards per carry throughout their career. The problem has always been volume. So I could see Edwards having volume if Dobbins does decide to sit out a game or if the Ravens decide he shows up so late that Edwards is the starter week one and then Dobbins takes over later. So I can understand Edwards having a little bit of value simply from if Dobbins isn't playing, Edwards should be fine. But I don't see Dobbins really having much of any leverage in this situation. Just if you look at someone like Josh Jacobs and Jonathan Taylor, they both at least have the fact that if they miss out games, they will lose money, but their teams won't be as good. Where if the Ravens don't have Dobbins for a game, they at least have Edwards. Edwards is a better backup than what the Raiders and the Colts have, and Dobbins isn't as good as Jonathan Taylor or Josh Jacobs is. So out of all these running back holdout situations, I think Dobbins is the most likely one to come back sooner rather than later, which what they said is the hope with him and Dobbins has only played eight games over the last two seasons. So I can understand with him more so than anyone, the Ravens not wanting to give him a new contract at this point with how little he's played over the past two years. So um, I'm concerned about the new offense in general and just how much the Ravens like to rotate the running backs, how much they'll be passing, having Lamar Jackson being able to score rushing touchdowns, all of that limits the running backs upside, which is why I probably don't want Dobbins quite at 21 regardless, but I do think Dobbins should be back sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are all good points, right? Like the volume is definitely going to be the biggest concern no matter what. But yeah, like you said, the, the, the Ravens running backs have been really efficient since Lamar Jackson entered the league. And I, I wanted to kind of pull some numbers because they are expected that offense to change a little bit, um, to be a little bit more pass heavy, a little bit more spread out, more 11 personnel after being pretty much the bottom of the league um, in that category over the last few years. But since, since Lamar Jackson entered the league in 2018, the Ravens running backs have earned the second highest highest yards per carry in the entire league at 4.8 yards per carry. That's amongst all their running backs, um, which was second only to the Browns, um, which they also happen to have Nick Chubb who entered the league in that same year. Um, but even still Ravens 
definitely don't have or haven't had like a Nick Chubb level running back since 2018. So to get to that level of production, thanks to kind of that advantage that Lamar gives um, by by defenses honing in on him, it is kind of a nice bonus for those people that are targeting Ravens running backs um, and hoping for efficiency over volume. Um, But I think what's even more interesting is that when the Ravens were in 11 personnel in that span, which they're expected to do a lot more this year, their running backs led the league with 5.5 yards per carry, which even cleared the Browns who were at 5.1 yards per carry in second. So a pretty significant um, gap between the two. So just something to kind of keep in mind for people that, you know, if J.K. Dobbins misses time or Gus Edwards misses time and we do get a little bit more volume, it tends to be a pretty efficient scheme. Thanks to Lamar Jackson um, in that offense as well. All right. The other running back situation that we, we actually haven't spent too much time on this uh, one this offseason so far, but uh, in Jacksonville, Travis Etienne and Tank Bigsby, that is. So Bigsby has been on the rise, while in most redraft leagues, Etienne is still going somewhere in the third round. Um, underdog, underdog drafters have been more in tune with the situation since he's going in the fourth over there. Um, I had written about Etienne as a fade at that third round price tag already this offseason because of Bigsby and his his projected role there with the team, but Nate, um, what what are you, what's your read on this Jaguars potential running back deployment, and would you be okay spending a third on Travis Etienne this season? I'm probably not spending a third on him. I'm generally avoiding running backs around the third round and that kind of tier of running backs just outside the top 10 in general. But ETN specifically, I think last year he was a good but not great runner. He did not grade well as a receiver. Um, A lot of that did have to do with a couple of fumbles, a couple of drops, which those aren't necessarily going to be sustainable going forward. And he should rebound from those, but he also just didn't have that high of a target share uh, compared to plenty of other running backs. So I could see this being a situation where it becomes a bit more of a committee. Uh, Just yesterday on Wednesday, uh, Coach Doug Peterson uh, did mention to temper the expectations a little bit. They like where he's at. They don't want to put too much on his plate right now, but they could add more in the future. So I could see this being a situation where week one ETN seeing a pretty decent majority of snaps, but as the season goes on, I could see that shifting a bit. And this um, is fairly similar to what Peterson has had with running backs in the past as well. Um, With his time with the head coach as with the Eagles, um, he only had, I think, three times over those five seasons where a running back had more than 400 offensive snaps. It was pretty consistently a committee of running backs. And then even going back to his time with Kansas City, like 2014, Jamar Charles was a pro bowler, uh, had 206 carries, but uh, Niall Davis had 134 carries. So even with having a pro bowl talent at running back, he was still fine having uh, two running backs both see significant playing time. So I could see this being a bit of a committee and even even being um, it's been pretty clear. He's second on the depth chart. He's surpassed hasty and being second on the depth chart by itself is a decent accomplishment. Uh, This time last year, Tyler Algier, he was like fifth or sixth on the Falcons depth chart behind Damien Williams and Cordero Patterson and Quadre Olison and even Caleb Huntley for a little bit there. And then similarly like Tampa Bay, Rashad White, the current starter for the team, who was the starter by the middle of the season. He was fourth on the depth chart at this point behind uh, Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, and Keyshawn Bond. So the fact that he's already up to two on the depth chart is pretty significant. So while we might still see ETN as the starter throughout the season, it could be a 55% to 45%. And the two backs are both decently well-rounded. So whichever running backs, the best one will probably see the most playing time. I don't think it's a situation where one necessarily has to have one role and the other has to have a different role. I can see both of these backs capable of doing everything. So uh, this could be a situation that definitely changes throughout the season rather than settling into a, here's the passing down back, here's the goal line back and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I mean, they 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 invested the day two draft capital in Tank Bigsby. He was a very good running back in college as well. So I think you know them sharing the workload definitely makes the most sense, and, and it creates obviously some concern for for ETN at that third round price tag. Like you said, I I would personally feel more comfortable with him in the fourth, just in the chance, like you said, if he does emerge having um, multiple roles other than just like a receiving back or or something like that. So um, I, I think 
much better shot to take in the fourth round, obviously, than um, up there in the middle of the third is, is pretty rich for just because of the risk of Tank Bigsby emerging there um, eventually through the season as well. So yeah, Let's, like this is why yeah, people yeah. argue for zero running back because you can get guys like Bigsby pretty late in drafts. So if you get enough of those guys, some of them are going to work out. So yeah completely understand that strategy. I'm still happy drafting a top 10 running back, but this is why I'm avoiding that 11 to 20 range because so many of them, it could just flip at some point in the season and all of a sudden this guy you drafted in the third or fourth round as a backup compared to a guy you're getting in the 11th or 12th round who's now a starter. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely the risk there. I wrote up the running back, running back, running back draft strategy um, for, for tomorrow as well. And it's just, it just feels risky, especially with when you bring in like injury and, and, and things like that. And, and the way the ADP has fallen for this season, I don't love it for this year, but there's definitely like some draft spots that I feel a little bit better with it just because there's certain players that you can get that you feel a little bit better about, but less so for running back this year, in my opinion. Um, all right, let's go to the wide receiver position and look at some of the risers here. So uh, interestingly, Jalen Hyatt of the New York Giants, the rookie there is up 18.8 spots to wide receiver 76, but it's still pretty big jump for him. Marvin Mims is up 9.9 spots to wide receiver 68. We talked about him last week and why that is with the injuries to the Broncos wide receivers. Justin Ross of the Kansas City Chiefs up 7.9 spots to wide receiver 78. And hey, even a Chase Claypool sighting up 5.1 spots to wide receiver 86. And then the guys that have fallen uh, over the last week or so, Tyquan Thornton of the New England Patriots down 19.2 spots to wide receiver 87. Um, Kadarius Toney is down 7.7 spots to wide receiver 46. Rashid Shaheed down five spots, Alan Lazard down 3.8 spots, and Traylon Burks uh, is down two and a half spots as drafters continue to make adjustments for the DeAndre Hopkins signing there. Um, Tyquan Thornton kind of stands out as a pretty substantial faller here amongst the rest. I know, you know, he missed some practice time and there's been a lot of buzz around guys like Demario Douglas, um, their sixth round pick, but he's much more likely to push for, for a role in the slot, given his size and role in college at Liberty. Um, but then guys like Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, those are the current projected starters. Although Bourne is still going much later, uh, essentially undrafted in most leagues. So Nate, is this just a case of, of the market recognizing that there might not be enough targets to go around and, and this maybe not even being a good enough offense to squeeze any worthwhile value out of Thornton? Why do you think he's fallen so far? I think the big thing is the negative camp buzz that he's had so far. He's been playing significantly with the second team in camp rather than with the first team. Um, talk about uh, I'm having troubles catching the ball and um just various things. And when you have a bunch of players getting all this positive press and camp, it's not surprising that so many get positive press because now's the time to get excited for teams and players that when you have someone getting negative press at this time for their play and not various off the field stuff, it starts to get concerning. So like, I think Juju Smith-Schuster and Devonte Parker are pretty well set as the starters. It's been pretty much since Parker got that extension, since people thought that Parker could have potentially been cut so Thornton could be a starter, but I think this clearly pushed him down the depth chart, which started this kind of negative trend for him. But uh, Kendrick Bourne had a pretty good spring and could very well be the third receiver. Um, like you mentioned, Douglas has been getting a decent amount of hype and yeah, he probably is better fit for the slot, but Juju Smith-Schuster can play on the outside. The Patriots can move receivers around. Kendrick Bourne is similar that he can play both outside and in the slot. So Thornton could just be a clear fourth on the depth chart and maybe down to fifth on the depth chart. So he's someone who's 23 could definitely bounce back, but second round wide receivers don't work out all the time there are some that do work out but going to the class before thornton we've already had elijah moore switch teams we're still waiting for rondale moore and tutu atwell and terrace marshall to have their breakouts which hasn't really happened too much yet uh Dwayne Eskridge with the Seahawks it already looks like he's pretty far down their depth chart and more or less out of their plans so it 
happens where second round receivers just don't end up breaking out at any point. And that looks like the path that we're on with Thornton right now. And the offense definitely has something to do with it as well. Since there's only so much that can go around, they do like spreading the ball around, but being the fourth or fifth wide receiver on the depth chart is pretty not great for a fantasy receiver. So definitely hope he can turn things around. Definitely hope he can have a successful NFL career, but things aren't looking great based on the past month, but We'll see tonight when they play in the preseason how they're using him. So we might even have more news on how the Patriots view him in the next 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what's nice about this. We kind of get to see the Patriots tonight. So maybe there will be some useful news to come out of that game to help kind of confirm or deny the value of the Patriots wide receiver core. Um, a wide receiver core where there absolutely should be value considering the quarterback that they have throwing to them is the Kansas City Chiefs, who are still without Kadarius Tony as he continues to fall down the ADP board. And on the other end of the spectrum, Justin Ross has risen up boards, as has another um former second rounder, Sky Moore, who's wide receiver 45 going ahead of Justin Ross even. Um, Nate, do you have kind of a favorite Chiefs receiving option, not named Travis Kelsey, that that you'd want to target right now in drafts? Um, Moore is probably the one that I'd be targeting the most. There's been a decent amount of hype for him. Talk that he's pretty consistently been on the field and two wide receiver sets in practice, which is pretty important. But with Kansas City, it's difficult for their wide receivers in general just because they have such a rotation of wide receivers, often going six deep at times, and it looks like they have at least six decent options on the roster this season. So you're not just hoping for someone to be the next Juju Smith-Schuster on the roster. You're probably hoping for something even better than that. Since Smith-Schuster last season uh, finished in a wide receiver 27 overall, but he was a bit of a headache for fantasy managers in that Half the games, he was only catching two or three passes, uh, somewhere between 10 and 40 yards and not scoring touchdowns. Uh, The other half definitely playing better than those half of games, but it's not like the game scripts were any different between his good and bad games. It wasn't like his playing time was any different between those good and bad games. It was just who he Patrick Mahomes was targeting that week, who was having a good week, so... Best ball, I definitely understand targeting these receivers because they can have those big splashy weeks, but it would take someone becoming the clear number one wide receiver and someone that Mahomes feels like he needs to target consistently in order for them to have pretty consistent fantasy value. So can definitely understand drafting more or drafting basically any of the other wide receivers late just in case they become that clear guy. But I think it's a lot more likely that this will be a big rotation. Maybe no one finishes in the top 30 in fantasy points for wide receivers because so many of them are having a couple of good weeks here and there, but it's a different wide receiver each week that's succeeding. Yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely possible, right? And, and I mean, I like these guys. They're, I like the talents, Sky Moore, Justin Ross. I'm rooting for Justin Ross, obviously, because he looked so good during that freshman season at Clemson. And then obviously injuries derailed his career. Um, but hopefully he could get back on track as well. But yeah, it's I think it's one of those situations. Like I'm the way I'm looking at it, I'm just, I, honestly, I, I don't really care to take a shot at in, in drafts other than, like you said, a best ball. But for redraft leagues where I can try to find the next guy on the waiver wire that is maybe emerging as a target um, who wasn't drafted, whether it is Justin Ross or Marcus Valdez scaling or whoever it happens to be um, in Kansas city there. I think that's be- the better way to do it. Cause I'm not drafting a sky more to be a starter right away. I'd much rather, you know, try to take that shot on the waiver wire at some point in season. So All right. Um, Before we go any further, I do want to shout out one more of our sponsors, the good folks over at DraftKings. Want to get in on the fantasy action, but sick of managing your roster, sick of player injuries ending your season? With Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For a limited time, you can join DraftKings' largest Best Ball contest ever and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Act now before this offer expires. To start playing Best Ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF, enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest, and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, trades, or I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing Best Ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million Best Ball tournament 
tournament and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. Only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DraftKings dollars. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. All right, one more position group here to look at in the risers and fallers category. Um, Starting with the tight end risers, Uh, Jake Ferguson is up 8.4 spots to tight end 24. Hunter Henry is up 6.4 spots to tight end 27. Uh, Dalton Kincaid is up 5.5 spots to tight end 11. Sam Laporta up 4.8 spots to tight end 18. Uh, Darren Waller up 2.9 spots to tight end six. Uh, oh, and Luke Musgrave is up five point spots, 5.2 spots to tight end 29 to get the full kind of rookie tight end starter pack included in all of these risers. Um, and then on the faller side, we got Jawan Johnson down 5.5 spots to tight end 22. Trey McBride is down 5.9 spots to tight end 29. And the biggest faller was Mike Gusecki, who's down 8.4 spots to tight end 25. So let's stay there in New England and back to New England for a second because again we get to watch them tonight but this is also kind of interesting with the tight end one role there on pace to potentially flip-flop in ADP at this rate um what what is going on in New England with the tight ends to draw these guys so close in their ADP is this a case of both of them having value this year or should we expect to see Hunter Henry emerge as tight end one, as this recent trend is indicating. Sure. So this recent trend, I think a lot has to do with uh, reports from training camp of Henry being the clear number one guy. Gusecki is struggling at times. So how I was viewing this before all the training camp news is I was higher on Gusecki just because he was a bit more of an unknown where Henry, we saw what he did last year, last year, Um, There were four games where he played 97 to 100% of the offensive snaps. In those games, he was able to catch four or six passes. But in all the other games where he was playing 87% of snaps or less, but still typically a clear majority of snaps, uh, he only caught four passes in one of those games, and the rest were three catches or less. So it wasn't a very consistent fantasy role for him. It wasn't he was a guy the year before who caught a lot of touchdowns, but that didn't happen last year. So I kind of viewed it as maybe potentially Henry was going to take the John New Smith role, play more on running downs, and then Gusecki, who's been clearly a receiving back throughout his career, would take the receiving role. Um, They gave him $4.5 million and another $4.5 million in incentives, so that's definitely not nothing. So it's clear they wanted to use him in some kind of receiving role. Um, now with these training camp reports, it looks like Henry's at least going to be the starter and Gusecki the backup. Um, obviously, things could change since Henry has experience with some of these Patriot coaches and Mac Jones, where Gusecki is new to the team. So things could definitely change over time. But right now, it seems more of a case of Henry's moving up because he's the starting tight end and Gusecki's the backup. But they're both outside of the top 20 tight ends. So you're not expecting too much out of them maybe Henry does go back to playing close to 100% of snaps like we've seen before and start seeing more red zone targets, in which case maybe he gets back to being closer to a fantasy starter. But right now, like you're not wanting to draft Gusecki too high because he might barely see playing time if Henry's seeing all the snaps. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. It's definitely a, a big piece of what we'll be watching here in the preseason because, yeah, maybe Gusecki can put on enough of a show, look as good of a receiving option or look better as, as a receiving option than Henry and kind of stop that fall uh, and still be the best fantasy option for among the Patriots tight ends. But yeah, like you said, the way that things are looking right now, the way that the Patriots have kind of presented things, Hunter Henry is is still the favorite to now take over as the, the top uh, tight end there in New England. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on one kind of faller here at least before we move on, but, um, Trey McBride, uh, we mentioned him with the Arizona Cardinals down 5.9 spots to tight end 29. Um, for this one, honestly, I think most of it has to do with Kyler Murray. The longer he goes without any kind of positive news about his return, then that just kind of continues to push down 
pretty much all the Cardinals receiving options. Um, even with Zach Ertz still not having an exact timeline for his return there, that there just hasn't been much optimism around these Cardinals receivers. You look at Marquise Brown, he, he's going outside the top 30 wide receivers for the most part, despite DeAndre Hopkins leaving him as the wide receiver one on this team. Rondale Moore um, was another significant faller in the last week. Week He dropped 380 spot, ADP spots or so, his wide, wide receiver 60. Um, you know, I, I think maybe betting on someone on this offense to outperform expectations could pay off. And maybe it is McBride if Ertz doesn't get back or he's cut or something like that. But and maybe we see that, you know, kind of strong year two progression from McBride this year that makes him worthy of end up being a top 15 pick next season in a better quarterback situation. But it's just it's too hard to kind of suss out what is going to happen there in Arizona this year with that offense. Um, but McBride is, is at least slightly interesting. He did, you know, post back-to-back receiving grades above 90 um, his last two seasons at Colorado state, including a 95.0 receiving grade, which led the entire FBS uh, in 2021. So that, that potential is there for him, assuming he can continue to adjust to the NFL, but I don't know about you, Nader. Is, is there anything interesting for for this cardinals group anybody that you'd like to buy low on for for this season uh first with mcbride like i'm fine taking a chance on him if i'm in a fairly deep league and one where um everyone's getting at least two tight ends maybe some teams are getting three tight ends in which case uh like you said going back to his college days there was a lot to like there he's a former second round pick he should see um a high majority of playing time as long as Zach Ertz is out so um there's definitely a chance that he can improve as a player in which case he could become a fantasy starting tight end but we just didn't see very much last year there was a reason you cited college statistics about him and not as rookie stats so <laughs> um there's a chance but it's not the highest chance but it's kind of a wait and see situation and then with the rest of the cardinals uh have been rondell more fan he's played well when he's been given the opportunity um talks of him having an expanded route tree this season and i think with his uh typical average low average depth of target that makes him a little more easier to work with with some of the quarterbacks where if you're more a downfield target you need more accurate passes to make plays where if you're just catching short stuff, then it's easier for a quarterback who isn't as good to be able to make those kind of throws. So I think more can play well, even if we don't see Kyler Murray back for a while. So he's someone I'm fine taking a chance on uh, later in the drafts, but that's the only one that I've pretty consistently seen myself drafting outside of James Conner, who should be the clear running back one. And anyone who's a clear running back one is definitely worth drafting at some point. So I've gotten a decent amount of Conner as well at drop drafts. Yeah. yeah Conner's a nice value for sure. I found um, in like, again, like the sixth round or so. So, um, but anyways, we'll, we'll get into uh, some of the preseason prep stuff now. So as we know, tonight kicks off the first real week of NFL preseason football. We got the Patriots, Texans, we got Vikings, Seahawks as well. And then every other team from Friday to Saturday, this is it. We're finally getting kind of a big chunk of NFL football to watch. We'll get a chance to see a lot of our favorite and, and most discussed players this offseason in action. Maybe we get some hints on how new coaching staffs will affect offenses. I think this is going to be good. So naturally, as we work through all the data and information that comes in from these preseason games, there are going to be things that we want to pay attention to and, and things that we don't. And, and Nate was kind enough to write up a very helpful guide to the preseason for fantasy football purposes, which you can find on PFF.com right now, kind of looking at what is useful and what isn't for the weeks ahead. And we'll start with one, at least one of my favorite things about the preseason, um, and probably for a lot of people, one of the first things I'm looking at during the preseason is the rookies. So this will be their first real taste of NFL game action. So I want to see kind of how they're playing, when they're playing in the context of the game and what their roles and uh, are in certain situations. So Nate, for you in regards to rookies, what are some of the, the I guess, the key indicators that you're looking for to tell you what to expect um, from these year one players? First, to just back up a second to talk a little bit more about this article yeah. and what I did going into it. Um, for those who don't know, I write game recaps for every regular season, every preseason game. I have been for the past couple of seasons where I write my notes ahead of the game. I'm writing the articles during the game, getting them out as close to the end of the game as I possibly can. And for the preseason, I'm 
getting them out typically by halftime because the starters are done playing by that point. And a lot of this, what I'm looking at is how the teams are using their players and more so than how good the players are actually playing since how good someone's playing in the preseason probably has a lot to do with um, the strategy the teams are using and how either complex or vanilla their strategies are, who their opponent has on the field, all those kinds of things. So while I'm not looking too much at how good someone's playing, I'm looking at how the team is using the players and how that can be an indication of how those teams will use the players going forward. So for this article, I looked back at what I wrote last preseason, the preseason before, found the notes that I had that ended up working out, the ones that didn't end up working out, found trends in what was and wasn't working, and basically commented on all of those in the article of what I wrote about last year that worked, what I wrote about last year that didn't work. So um, rookies are a big one in that um, typically, when you see a rookie seeing significant playing time with the starters in the preseason, that's a pretty clear sign that they're going to be doing that in the regular season. I think Jahan Dotson was a perfect example of someone who, heading into last season, thought he would be more of a slot receiver, playing a part-time role in the offense, so wasn't drafting him as high heading into the preseason. But then that very first preseason game, he was playing on the outside with the starters, playing 100% of snaps while all of the other starters were also playing. And he continued to do that throughout uh, the preseason. Week one, he led all the rookies and offensive, all rookie wide receivers and offensive snaps. Um, similarly, Drake London, Alec Pierce, two people that it was a little less surprising that they were clear starters at the start of the preseason, but uh, just with the depth that wide receiver for both teams, but they also played over 45 snaps in week one. They were the only three wide receivers to do that. Uh, George Pickens in the following week, uh, split time with Chase Claypool, which was big. So um, seeing which rookies are seeing snaps early um, is a pretty good indicator. But then on the flip side, um, rookies that aren't playing as much with the starters, probably not as big of a deal. So like week one last year, I mentioned earlier that we saw some of these running backs who were like fourth or fifth on the depth chart, slowly but surely worked their way up. But a lot of running backs even weren't a clear number one on the depth chart throughout out throughout the preseason. So um, we saw Brees Hall eventually become the starter. James Cook saw more playing time as the season progressed. Um, Kenneth, or, yeah, Kenneth Walker uh, was the starter by the middle of the season. So you're not drafting the rookies because of what they'll do in the regular season, but based on what they do in the preseason, you could find some of these rookies who are doing a lot over that first month of the season. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the depth charts are always weird, especially for, for rookies, right? Bijan at Robinson right now, I think he's listed third on the depth chart, right? Um, Jordan Addison is behind KJ Osborne, which brings back memories of Justin Jefferson being behind. Um, I think it was Ola BC Johnson at the time. Yep. Right. Um, so yeah, depth charts, in general can be misleading. I think even more so when it comes to rookies. Um, so while there's some, you know, information to glean from them for the most part, they should be, they shouldn't be taken so seriously that we're, you know, basing a lot of our information off of them. Um, the, the amount of times that, you know, we actually see like the starting 11 listed on the field together throughout an entire season ends up just being like a small fraction of the overall snaps for most teams. So um, instead, I think, like you said, focusing on kind of the usage patterns and, and how it pertains to the game situation, who's on the field when, and for how long, where they line up, I think is a much better process and information to follow than just looking at a team depth chart that, it, you know, some team intern had to put together one day and, and, never bothered updating right so um so that's rookies Let, let's flip to the other side of the nfl experience coin and, and talk about the veterans uh for the most part since we've seen these guys in the nfl before we probably have a, a much better grasp on what to expect from them their roles on the team etc but but a lot of players have switched teams this offseason so is there anything we should be looking for um that could predict in-season usage for these kind of old faces in new places yeah, it's both players who are on new teams as well as teams where um, they had a situation one year, the situations changed this year. So like David Njoku was someone who I was looking at last preseason, um, had been sharing time with Austin Hooper, but Njoku was playing was the clear starter, which was expected, but he was playing 100% of the snaps with the starters. Uh, there was at least a little bit of concern that Harrison Bryant could play a significant role last year and cut into Njoku's playing time, but that was pretty clear that wasn't happening in the preseason. 
Um, the Kansas City Chiefs, they've been a pretty consistent team that uh, use their starters a lot in the preseason and uh, have their players playing pretty similarly to what they'll do in the regular season, which has been pretty helpful. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster uh, was expected to be their top wide receiver last year. Week one of the preseason ran the most routes with the first team. Uh, we also saw Justin Watson seeing snaps with the first team. So that was a pretty clear indication that they valued Watson and that he'd have a decent role last season. Uh, Jacksonville was another one where Christian Kirk, Zay Jones joined the team and they joined with Marvin Jones already on the team. Uh, I was pretty clear in the preseason that the order was Kirk running the most routes, then Zay Jones and Marvin Jones that played out in the regular season. Uh, Raheem Mostert, someone in Miami wasn't expected to have the huge role because they had Jace Edmonds at a much bigger contract, but it was clear Mostert was ahead of all of the running backs that they already had on the roster during the preseason. So an indication that he had the role. A number of other guys like Trent Sherfield, who uh, was playing ahead of Cedric Wilson, something that probably didn't impact uh, people doing redraft leagues, but things like knowing it for prop bets or best ball or normal DFS games, some of these guys who aren't the clear fantasy starters, but could help you in other ways that you're uh, playing fantasy um, can be helpful. So um, a lot of the other veterans, those will be the situations that are happening. But similar to the Hall of Fame game, there's also plenty of games where teams are resting their starters and you aren't able to get any information out of those games. But in the recaps, I make it pretty clear uh, which games you're able to get information out of and which ones don't have as much good information from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's it's so important to kind of see how these guys are used. And, and you know, that kind of brings us to like the rotations in general, right? We're, we're undoubtedly going to see a, a lot of players coming on and off the field throughout the entire preseason, a lot more than we would in season as well, because these rosters are massive right now. Um, but also coaches and teams want to get as many looks at all the players um, who are fighting for roster spots so they can see, you know, who should make the team, who shouldn't. It's, it's as simple as that. But so while there's there's going to be a lot of rotations, a lot of players to kind of keep track of, are, are there certain positions that you're looking at specifically to kind of get us a, a better indication of what will continue into the regular season? Tight ends have been the big one, and especially tight ends that are considered sleepers heading into the season. And they're the ones where it becomes pretty clear that they're not going to end up working out. A lot of the time it's because they're using some sort of tight end rotation where they're using tight ends in specific situations. And if they're only willing to use that tight end in a specific situation in the preseason, they're probably only going to use him in that specific situation in the regular season. So last season we saw Albert Ogwegbunum. Um, he was playing only in passing situations, not playing in two tight end sets. So um, only playing in 11 personnel, basically. And typically you need a tight end playing at least in 11 personnel as well as 12 personnel in order to become a fantasy starter. So I know there was a lot of talk of how late into the preseason he was playing. I wasn't as concerned about that. It was the fact that he wasn't playing in 12 personnel. So um, obviously Greg Dulcich, who wasn't playing in the preseason, ended up taking over that passing down role. So that was part of why it didn't work out. But uh, last season, Mike Gusecki was another example. Um, he was rotating among the starting tight ends, uh, playing a different role, which was part of it. But the fact that he wasn't the clear starter um, ended up being true throughout the season. Uh, Noah Fant, another one in Seattle. Uh, he was splitting time with Colby Parkinson while Will Disley was getting a veteran day off last preseason. So it was pretty clear that they still liked Parkinson throughout the season. Parkinson got a decent amount of playing time and Disley also saw significant playing time. So the fact that all three of them were playing a lot um, was a problem. Uh, Hunter Henry was another one that we were just talking about earlier. Um, there was a preseason game. He and Jonu Smith split those snaps with the starters. So while Henry ended up being more of the starter than Smith, the fact that Smith was seeing so much playing time hurt Henry's fantasy production. So all of these guys ended up um, ranking lower in fantasy points than where their ADP was even at the end of the preseason. And there's examples of this every year of guys who are only playing certain roles and then not ended up ending up working out. So tight ends, probably the biggest one that I found most reliable um, running backs are another one where um, plenty of the time you'll see teams just 
let a player play entire drives at a time, get them in every situation, which is probably like if I was a coach, what I would end up doing just to give people situations that they're not maybe used to. But we saw some teams rotating among the starters and it was a pretty clear sign of what was to come in the regular season. Um, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, I think only had one or two drives throughout the preseason um, when the Lions were doing the starters, but they were rotating. Swift would play a couple snaps, uh, just one or two snaps, and Williams would play one or two snaps, and back to Swift, then back to Williams, and so on. So their ADPs were incredibly far apart last year. Swift was top 10, Williams was around 50, and they both averaged pretty much the same fantasy points per game last season. Um, we also saw Washington, they used Robinson on early downs, Gibson on third downs. That ended up being true. Uh, we saw Isaiah Pacheco playing snaps with the first team. He ended up winning the starting job with Kansas City. And then New England, the fact that uh, both Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris were playing at times on third downs after years of them having separate early down backs and third down backs um, raised the hopes of both players. And it was Stevenson that ended up working out rather than Harris. But the fact that they were playing on third downs was an indication that things could be changing with the Patriots last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great information right there. And then that, that's kind of what I'm thinking about for, for like a certain group, like um, at least for running backs with the dolphins, right? Like Raheem Moster, Devin A chain, Jeff Wilson, specifically for this season, I, I kind of want to see, you know, if we can get, uh, you know, who's going to get the most reps with the starter? Is there a clear situational back or a usage pattern that we're seeing emerge? Um, like, which will they show which of these guys is getting the early down work, the short yardage work, the passing down work, um, things like that. And honestly, who knows if they even play enough snaps for us to figure all that out in the short amount of time that we get with them in the preseason. But I think by following a lot of the information that you just highlighted, um, we at least may be able to kind of rule out one of these players. And, and if one of those players ends up being like a, a mostert or a chain who have a, a higher adp that we can rule out we at least have some more information on which will be worth um spending a draft pick on and which one is more of a, like a watch list player for in-season waiver wires um at the very least so um all right. So that's that's kind of everything that we should be looking at. But naturally, being the preseason, it isn't immune to some sort of the you know typical offseason misinformation that comes that we have to sort through to figure out what is news and what is just noise. So with that in mind, um, what are some of the things that you can let the people know of that we might see this preseason that we we shouldn't be putting much stock into? Sure. I wouldn't be too concerned about how late into the preseason someone's playing just because there's a lot of factors that end up going into it. Um, Josh Jacobs in the Hall of Fame game last season uh, played late into, I think it was the second quarter, which everyone was really alarmed at, but he was getting those vast majority of snaps. So it was everyone else on the depth chart that was even lower than Jacobs playing even later into the Hall of Fame game. So Jacobs was clearly ahead of everyone else. It was just surprising how much usage he got in that game. And then, uh, Traylon Burks was another example last year, played into the fourth quarter of the first preseason game, and he was just rotating in and out with a bunch of outside receivers, but they were still uh, happy to use him in any kind of situation. It was just how late into the game. So while it was surprising to see him get that much playing time, um, he became more clear with the starters as the preseason progressed. Um, so I'm not too concerned about how late they're playing. It's more um, who they're playing with, if they're playing with the starters, if they're playing with the backups, regardless of how long the starters play, regardless of how long the backups play. Um, another thing, just note that there are going to be games where you're not going to get much information. The Los Angeles Rams haven't played their starters in the preseason in several seasons. It's been since 2017 that Cooper Cup or Tyler Higby have played a single preseason snap. So um, the Rams have been the biggest team about not using their starters, but plenty of other teams didn't do it at any point in 2022. We'll probably see some of that again in 2023. So um, always information to get for dynasty managers and those kind of things. But there will be plenty of games where no one you're drafting and redraft is playing and it doesn't matter too much there. Um, then two things that I'm not paying as much attention to um, based on misses that I've had in the past. Um, the rookies is a big thing where there were times where I got lower on a rookie based on their preseason snaps. Uh, Garrett Wilson was playing after Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Braxton Berrios in their last preseason game. 
Uh, similarly, Chris Olave behind Jarvis Landry, Marquez Callaway in their last preseason game. And both of those wide receivers ended up working out just fine. So um, there are wide receivers that also raised red flags like Sky Moore last year with how far he was down the depth chart. And that remained true throughout the season, throughout the Super Bowl. So um, there are going to be cases where there might be somewhat red flags, but you shouldn't react too harshly to those based on how well the rookies are playing in the preseason. And then I will also note that I was definitely off on Travis Kelsey last year based on the preseason. Um, He had typically seen a significant amount of snaps with the starters. They were rotating guys in and out a lot more last season in the preseason. His snaps did decline last season. So part of that did end up being true, but basically all of that decline happened on run plays. It didn't really impact his pass plays whatsoever. And while he had a slightly down year the year before, he definitely rebounded from that, had one of the best seasons in the red zone ever for a tight end. So he definitely bounced back. So I am definitely fine to admit my mistake or admit that I was wrong there and not drafting him in the first round, should have drafted him in the first round. So I will not be having any Travis Kelsey preseason takes this year. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. But yeah, honestly, that, that's that's great information. And and yeah, definitely check out the full article on PFF.com because yeah, going through these things game by game, Nate, and, and you highlighting the the usage and 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 stuff like that throughout the preseason for each game, giving us what to pay attention to and whatnot, I think is crucial information to help people, especially in fantasy drafts, so we don't make any you know significant mistakes or anything like that in, in drafting a player who's probably who might not get the the playing time that we're worth thinking they will so definitely be sure to check all that stuff out throughout the preseason and we're going to be doing preseason recap episodes as well so we'll be covering a lot of that stuff uh in there as well all right with the fantasy portion wrapped up it's time to move on to our five round draft topic after i got pounded in the movie trilogy one because people didn't take into account that godfather 3 and spider-man 3 actually sucked but it's fine i'm not bitter I'll accept the loss. I effed up by not taking the Dark Knight trilogy with my first pick. That's on me. So now I believe if my mathing is correct, we are all tied up at five wins apiece. Um, yeah. So so now I get the, the first overall pick again as we are drafting the best NFL throwback jerseys. This is a fun one. I'm all about the most aesthetically pleasing apparel out there. So anyone who, you know, who watches the YouTube can tell by my unreal eye for fashion. Um, I'm sure there's no way I'll screw this one up too. Uh, Nate, (laughs) you are the king of football jerseys over there. So I'm feeling a bit of a, at a disadvantage here. You've got all the momentum home field, home field advantage as well. So you got to feel pretty decent about this one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think this will be an interesting one, just since I'm not sure exactly how people will vote, since I think like in past ones, it's been like, okay, here are the kind of things that I like. So hopefully people like the same things that I like, but I feel like people have pretty strong takes on their favorite throwback jerseys. And I don't know if they'll be like, oh, well, you pick this one jersey or if it's going to be the collection of jerseys. I don't know how people are going to vote for this one. And there's plenty of good options here. So I think this one should end up being pretty close regardless of how this draft goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we think. But then once I, I, I massively screw this up, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I I'm hoping that, that my one Oh one is the one that people like the most, because I am going with the San Diego chargers, the powder blues. This is my one Oh one. I have the Derwin jersey. Derwin version of it um, behind me here, but the ultimate football aesthetic to me is Ladanian Tomlinson powder blue. Nothing beats it. Um, if, if I lose with this as my top choice, then then I'll consider it an all time fumble because I think I think this is the greatest um, throwback jersey that that ever was. So there, I struggled uh, figuring out what to do with the Chargers just because they've gotten their current jersey so close to that throwback now that. It's more or less the same. I definitely have one of those uh, Ladanian Tomlin jerseys back there in the closet that maybe I'll bust out one of these weeks, but uh, definitely considered them on my list. But I think with my first pick, I'm going to go with the Houston Oilers jersey, the Tennessee Titans throwback um, with the 80s and 90s, just having it be so completely different than what they're completely wear- or currently wearing. Um, have a Houston jersey on now feel like the Texans should get a chance to wear the Oilers jersey at some point but the Titans get to wear it for one game this season but I think the Houston Oilers having that be 
not anything like a jersey that there is now um i think makes it a pretty unique pick nice yeah we both going for the the kind of light blue look here with our first picks i, I love that look that, that that's mm. a really good pick um okay uh this one you know what i'm gonna go with the the philadelphia eagles the kelly greens um from like the 80s the 90s i think they're wearing them this year right they, they kind of yep. remind me of like randall cunningham um that jersey mm-hmm. now we get jalen hurts in them they're just they're so nice it's just like the perfect um shade of green and, and then they look so yep. clean on the football field so yeah philadelphia kelly greens there for me that was if you didn't pick them, I was going with them. I've got a Harold Carmichael jersey that uh, wears one of these times, but nice. I will have to move on to a different jersey from the seventies and eighties that stands out. I'm going to go with the New England Patriots back when they had the red, white, and blue with the center on their helmet rather than their current logo. I think it's just a pretty unique. Um, combination of colors that they had and how they used it with their jerseys i think it just stands out so much from what they currently have so i think i'm happy with having the patriots there yeah that that's a nice one too yeah the logo's sweet the solid reds are so nice too um okay good pick let me go with oh this is tough now okay okay this one because i like this throwback so much better than than their current ones and that's the seahawks those royal blue um and silver that they're wearing this they're, they're actually yeah they are going to wear this year i just think they're so yeah. much better than that kind of weird matt hasselbeck era color that their current jersey is essentially a variation of today so yeah give me those royal blues all day those seahawks ones are are nice Back to back sniping my picks there. So I will have nice. to continue to go down my list. I did feel like going through this that there ended up being a clear like top five or so that was a pretty clear one. And then you had like 20, 30 other options for the rest of the draft. So hopefully you don't continue taking my picks from here. But I think I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons back in the 70s and 80s with their red uniforms. Yeah. Uh, just not enough red uniforms in the NFL today. So um, I think they looked fairly good and red even though they weren't winning many games when they were wearing those red jerseys but definitely think they stand out probably better than they do in the black ones right now nice yeah even i even like they're the the black ones that they wore like in that same kind of mm-hmm. air with the red helmet looked really good too but yeah. yeah um yeah that's a great call all right let me go oh this is yeah you're right this this does get tougher here i didn't order them um all right i'm gonna go you know which ones i like i like uh the the rams the blue and yellows for the rams like the kurt warner that's what that's why i kind of picture wearing it um all the time with the yellow yeah. pants um yeah give me those those rams jerseys as my uh my fourth pick here well, I need to make sure that this team at least gets picked because they stand out so much from their current jersey, the Buccaneers, the Creamsicles. They had to get drafted, so yeah. I will be the one to draft them. Uh, like, a lot of this has to do with like watching NFL films and having jerseys that make you remember watching that and the feeling you got watching those old NFL films and the Buccaneers having those it's like, you know, you're watching a game from that far back when they're wearing that kind of Jersey. So while it's probably not the best looking Jersey, the, it has a very nice place in NFL history. So I felt like it needed to get drafted. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would have taken them here fifth. I I think that's a good pick because at at the very least they're unique, right? They look, and they look pretty cool on certain players, but yeah, they're, it's just a classic and and that's a lot of these jerseys they just i go back to one single player um which is why which is why i like them so much and i'll do that with my last pick here i'm gonna go with the uh the cowboys ones that they're they're also wearing this year um with the star on the white sleeves with the solid blue body i I call them the romo and des throwbacks but they apparently go back even to the 60s um uh but yeah those ones are, are pretty cool as well i'll take the the cowboys as my last pick you're going to get all of those Cowboys fans that are just like, that's what I'm hoping. Whether or not they like the jersey or not, they're going to pick the Cowboys one because I feel yeah. like the Cowboys jersey is better than their throwback jersey, where a lot of these, it's like, I'd wish they wore the throwbacks more often, but you're going to get those Cowboys votes and I'll live with that. I feel like I'm getting a lot of red colors mm-hmm. and orange colors, and I 
think I will be okay with that for one more pick. I think I'll go with the Denver Broncos with their old jerseys, with the old helmet. Like you said, thinking of a lot of individual players when thinking of these, thinking of John Elway wearing it before uh, he won the Super Bowls back when he was losing Super Bowls, but he was still looking good in those orange jerseys back then. So Nice. I like it. All right, so I have the uh, Chargers, Powder Blues, Eagles, Kelly Green, Seahawks, Royal Blues, the Cowboys, um, the Romo Des ones. And, oh, and the red and the blue and yellow Rams, um, Kurt Warner era ones. Um, Nate, you got the Houston Oilers, the Patriots, Reds, the Falcons, Reds, uh, the Bucks, Creamsicles, and now the John Elway Broncos ones. So. I like it. I again, who knows how this is going to go? We'll see if I if the voters yeah. can get back into my good graces after this one. Um, because yeah. after all, Even it's the- not. <laughs> I was going to say it's not me that's out of touch. It's the children who are wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say even with the Rams ones, like thinking of all the jerseys they've had, I feel like they've gone kind of back to the blue and yellow ones yeah. recently. So I was almost considering the blue and gold ones because they haven't been using that gold color as much recently, but. They had white and blue as well. Like when we were talking about doing this, I'm like, we have to specify which ones because the Rams have had like three different color schemes over the course of all their stuff. So it could be possible we picked two different Rams, but just the one ended up getting picked. Yeah. Yeah. I went, um, I went with, yeah, the, the, the solid color ones over the whites. Mm -hmm. I I always like that a little bit better. So, um, Yeah. However you vote, I appreciate you all. We thank you all as always for listening. Thank you to Nate for doing this with me. Um, We're ramping up starting next week, moving to four episodes per week, and we'll get the awesome Kate Majduk on with us as well in there to mix it up and get her great fantasy knowledge and insight included to get you all ready for the 2023 fantasy season. Speaking of which, be sure to check out the PFF Fantasy Mock Draft Simulator to make sure you're ready for the real thing when it's your time for your actual fantasy uh, draft that is it's free right now to play around with as much as you like on pff.com. I know I wish I had a mock draft simulator last week, so I could have made a few better choices in our recent five round random draft. So don't make the same stupid mistakes. I did go utilize the heck out of that thing. So you can crush your fantasy drafts this year. Um, be sure to also check out all the great content on the site this week. Nate remind the good folks where, uh, what you have up on pff.com. Sure. So this week I updated my best ball rankings, updated all of my position rankings, which I'll have write-ups for every player that I'm ranking in those articles, uh, updated my top 12 uh, fantasy draft, perfect draft strategy. So that also went up last Monday. I did breakout running backs and tight ends, um, had the why you should pay attention to the preseason article go up today that we just talked about. Uh, tomorrow will be quarterback draft strategy. Um, Along with that, I will have my preseason recaps. They will be going up tonight. Um, Once a 7 p.m. Eastern game hits, that recap will probably be up by halftime of that game and then updated later for the later game. And then more recaps throughout the weekend over this, I think, four-day stretch that we have straight of preseason games. Yeah, I like it. Lots out there and lots coming as well. As for me, I wrote up uh, Dark Horse running back and quarterback candidates to finish as their position's top overall fantasy scores this season. Uh, also wrote up uh, Dark Horse candidates for the IDPs um, at each defensive position. Uh, and then still to come on Friday will be my strategy article that focuses on going running back, running back, running back through the first three rounds and what that looks like in 2023. So if you're a robust running back believer, definitely check that out. Um, next episode we'll be back in the feed on monday recapping all the important fantasy information to come out of this full week's worth of preseason games so enjoy the games this weekend thank you all again for listening don't forget to subscribe to the pff fantasy youtube channel and discord and until next time peace out